How should we respond when we feel that the wrong thing might be happening? Today we're talking about moral distress. This is not a problem confined to nursing care, but is very prominent in nursing practice, in part because of the hierarchical structures at work in healthcare. In this podcast, we aim to unpack the meaning and experience of moral distress through discussion of a hypothetical case in a paediatric clinical setting. We will also discuss how you might recognise feelings of moral distress and, importantly, how you might process those feelings and respond to the moral dimensions of healthcare that such feelings may be illuminating. Welcome to Essential Ethics and the next podcast in our nursing ethics series, Moral Distress. I'm your podcast host, Professor John Massey, Clinical Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre. To help us think about moral distress and unpack the complex layers of uncertainty and discomfort, we're joined by Patia Johnson, Clinical Nurse Specialist on the Sugar Glide Award here at Royal Children's Hospital. Welcome, Patia. Thank you, John. Patia, for some people who don't know, the Sugar Glide Award is really our step-down ward from the intensive care. Mm-hmm. High dependency unit with some very complex patients, some of whom have tracheostomies and ventilators, others on non-invasive ventilation, usually with high care needs. Correct. And to help us consider the ethical dimensions of moral distress, we're joined by Professor Claire Delaney, who is the Academic Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre this year. Claire, welcome back to Essential Ethics. Thanks, John. Claire, moral distress is really rather complex and in lots of ways just feels like a hot mess. Or there are situations where there's a hot mess on the ward and moral distress is part of that. But I think hot mess is not a very accurate clinical or ethical description. So do you think you might tell us a little bit about how you see or how you might define moral distress? Well, I think, in fact, a hot mess is an accurate, in a way, description because it refers to the emotional aspect of moral distress. Moral distress refers to a feeling of distress. It isn't a fact. It is a feeling that a clinician may have inside them. And the classic definition refers to the constraint that a clinician feels because they have formed a view that the wrong thing is being done or or the wrong thing has been said or something wrong has occurred and they can't do anything about it. They're being stopped. So that's a sort of classic definition of moral distress. And Claire, I think what's fascinating in that is actually bringing in the emotional content there because I think a very strong move towards professionalism and I'm increasingly thinking that professionalism is anti-emotionalism mm. and that you're getting on with things, braving it out, toughing it out. But I think being afraid to engage with the emotions is actually very destructive and wrong and in fact engaging with the emotions is a very important part of resolving the moral distress or even just understanding it. Is that right? That's that's right. And and perhaps after Pasha talks about the case, I'll talk some more about the way a clinical ethics response 
or debrief about moral distress would go through that process of um, addressing the feeling and working through and processing that feeling. Claire, as I was introducing Patia and we were thinking about some of the complicated patients that we get often out of the ICU, they're often just very difficult situations and really any person exposed to those would feel distressed. Mm. So could we just be a little clearer, if it's possible, about general distress and moral distress? Because I think people you know, may conflate those. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, the moral distress has a moral component, which means there's a feeling that some wrong is being done. Either there's a harm being done to someone or to yourself. You feel really as if you've been um, either uh, put in a position where you have to do something you don't believe in. Uh, so uh, general distress it may be that after working through moral distress where you believe a wrong is being done or you fear a wrong might happen, so you're morally anxious about something, um, then uh, it may be after talking through that that it is general distress because this is a tragic, awful situation and um, something has to. Something is lost. A moral value is lost. But it helps to get to that point to work out whether a, a wrong has genuinely been done. In which case, maybe you then get on to thinking about what do we need to do about that. Certainly, sounds that uh, you know, moral distress is adding to the whole situation in terms of the negative experience. Um, well, I think the other th- I, the other thing to to think about is that um, feeling some moral distress shouldn't be thought of as um, meaning that you're inadequate in some way because the fact that you feel some distress um, suggests that you are being quite a responsible health professional with feelings. You care a lot and the reverse of that or the the other side of the coin is you don't feel anymore, which uh, often is linked with burnout where you, you are just exhausted and cannot care for a variety of reasons. That's a wonderful place for us to start. And Patia, I think what might help illuminate this is perhaps thinking of a case mm-hmm. uh, that you've been involved with or perhaps the colleagues uh, on the ward. Uh, have you got something in mind to share with us? Yeah, sure, John. So this scenario or this case is probably, I should say, a, a combination of a few different cases just to de-identify the patient on the ward but this happened not long ago. So we have a 12-month-old boy who came to us after uh, suffering a hypoxic brain injury, which means that the brain has been deprived of oxygen for some time. And this was from an accidental choking episode at home. This boy then was resuscitated by paramedics at the scene and taken to ICU, uh, intensive care. Um, And then he eventually came to us, unfortunately, on sugar glider, that is. Unfortunately, due to the lack of oxygen to his brain, it resulted in quite a catastrophic uh, brain injury and um, damage. And so he was unable, whilst he was able to breathe on his own, he he struggled with his um, with his breathing. His airway um, was quite critical. 
He was unresponsive. He couldn't suck. He couldn't swallow. Um, so he required some tube feeding um, via a, a nasogastric tube. And he essentially had no prospect of going home um, from this. And and that patient is because of the, the brain injury affecting his control of breathing, right. control of his upper airway, That's right. just obstructing yes. the ability to suck. That's right. And I'm imagining, patient that this boy's come to you after quite a number of weeks in the ICU. Mm, yes. So there's been opportunity for recovery. Yes. And potentially had been intubated and supported Correct. and now withdrawn. But this is really what's left of this poor young boy's That's right. life. That's right. So what were some of the situations that the sort of nurses were experiencing in looking after this mm. boy? On a day-to-day basis, um, this this little boy, um, when he was lying in his cot, he required very careful repositioning. So every time you turn him, you have to protect his airway. We had to change his nappy while he was on his t- stomach because if we lay him on his back, he's, he would start to really struggle to breathe. So we had to be very gentle in those cares. We had to you know, because of his suck and lack of suck or swallow, he, his saliva would pull in his mouth, so we had to suction him regularly. Um, he also, because of his brain damage, he had muscle stiffening and limb stiffening. It would cause him quite a bit of distress, so he required a lot of pain medication um, to relieve that distress and pain. And also, yes, I guess the the parents, you needed to manage their um, emotions as well. And so what, well, let's think about that then. Mm-hmm. What were, what was the parents' response to this terrible injury? So it was a tricky situation with the parents. They were not in a relationship and they had differing views as to the treatment plan or the care yeah, of the, of this baby. As in diametrically opposed mm-hmm. treatment? Yes. So what did one want? So the mum, mother would wanted um, this boy to be resuscitated in the event of him, um, he's not breathing, um, and the father did not want the baby resuscitated, so he wanted him to pass away peacefully. So that creates a very difficult mm. situation in what is a difficult situation already. Was the difference of opinion between the parents, was that then laid on the nurses as well? Yes, yes. Sometimes they would be in the room at the same time. There was a fair bit of animosity between the two parents. Um, so whilst we were there to look after the baby primarily, we also had to manage um, the conflict at times between the two to the two parents. And, and when this little boy was having his nappy changed or uh, needing something done, mm-hmm. then sort of how were you and the nurses feeling about even just handling him? Very anxious <laughs> um, because it was a precarious situation to be in and in day to day, shift to shift, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so sometimes we needed more than one of us in the room to help move the baby. 
um, or, you know, in order to pass him over to mum or dad to hold him. We had, there had to be two of us to manage that. Um, but it was quite anxiety-producing. Was that anxiety-producing because you, you had to resuscitate them because that's what the order was, even though the parents were disagreeing? I'm imagining mm. that one wants resuscitation, one doesn't, and then we yes. tend to lean towards a more active approach yeah. to treatment. Yes. I think we we did know or we, we had a view that we knew what was going to eventuate with this baby, um, we didn't know if it was going to be on our shift. You mean what, what, what did he was going uh, to? That he was going to die. He was, right. Yeah. And, but, but that happens too, doesn't it? That mm. Children are very unwell. Yes. We expect that they're going to die. Mm. We undertake measures usually with our palliative care mm. team to ensure that that's in as comfort comforting environment for the child and their parents as possible. But I'm getting a sense here that that wasn't the scenario. It makes it harder. And I think we knew, or for me personally, I knew that I didn't really want to be resuscitating this baby. He was unresponsive. There was, um, it would have been a very distressing for him. It would have been traumatic procedure to put him through, um, even though we couldn't see any signs that he responded to different interventions. Um, but I think when you look at the situation, you know that it's it's harmful. I mean, it's a very intense physical experience, isn't mm. it? Um, delivering the resuscitation and I imagine yes. that receiving the resuscitation yes. too. So was that then the sense of the nursing staff? Were the nursing staff sort of aligned in a sense with firstly that this infant was going to die and was going to die, he was going to die in hospital. Yes. And that everyone was anxious that it could happen on Mm -hmm. their shift. Mm -hmm. Was the anxiety increased because rather than allow the infant to die, which it's sounding like that is the, the sort of would be the preference option. of the nursing yeah, staff, the, the best yeah. option for mm. the kid. Mm. That the mother didn't want this, yes, and that this actual situation of having to resuscitate someone who didn't really want to, mm-hmm. with the mother there, yes. Yes. was going to be a, a, an increasingly heightened yes, situation. Definitely, definitely. I um, when we were allocate when you were allocated a patient or a patient load on a shift. And this, in this particular case, there was always that sense of, um, I know one of my colleagues described it as impending doom. <laughs> you know, you know, you're as soon as you step in the room that um, something might happen, um, and then we're going to have to watch or witness the trauma of the event, plus the trauma of the parents and their emotions and their the conflict. Um, we didn't know how it would pan out. Would it, would they eventually uh, come to see to be on the same page and go, yes, okay, let's let this baby pass, or would it, is it going to be one opinion and the other opinion? Patia, that sounds a terribly difficult situation that you and the nursing staff have been taking on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So I think we should give you a little rest. And Claire, there's a lot going on. In that, and I think I know the answer to this. 
which is this doesn't sound just like there's distress involved over this very difficult situation, but there's a lot of points of moral distress in this case. You're right, John. It is very complicated. And there's several questions I wanted to ask Patia mm-hmm. along the way to just to unpack the sorts of distress that nurses feel with a case like this. And I imagine on your ward, Patia, that there would be many patients who have tragic circumstances surrounding them. And can can you say why or how this case felt different mm. for you? I think for me personally, it, it's not often that you get parents of a child to have opposing views mm-hmm. on a resuscitation of their child. That was the main thing for for me. Yeah. Yep. And so if I'm probing and unpacking the distress to try to, um, which is what clinical ethics often does, is to try to get closer to the moral bit mm-hmm. of the distress. If we take the parental conflict, do you think that's where the moral heat was in this case or do you think that the the real distress or distress was directed towards whether this little baby um, should be resuscitated like where was mm. the where was the the problem for you and there might be I, more than yeah, one yeah i think it's probably more towards the that the this baby probably shouldn't be resuscitated right yeah. but there um does that go to um, the day-to-day care or was it a, a, a type of moral anxiety? What if this baby needs to be resuscitated and I'm the one here? Was that the feeling or was it? Uh, I think it was the day-to-day care. Mm-hmm. And then as an extension, what if I'm the one who has to do it? Yes. Yes. And it, it reminds me of the categories of moral distress, which I think can be useful. The first definition I gave was moral distress as a clinician feeling constrained Mm. because they thought that they should be doing one thing but they couldn't because of either, you know, um, somebody else making the decision. Does that fit your feeling of moral distress? Like Like what could you have done? I think or should have done in yeah, your mind. That's definitely a feeling, uh, a very strong feeling. I think as nurses, we are implementers of the care mm-hmm. for our patients, um, but don't often have a voice in the decision making and the treatment um, plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was certainly in this case, we had to implement, we did our day to day cares, we implemented that. And then were directed to, in the event of a respiratory arrest, resuscitate the baby. Yeah. And so there was a feeling of distress about this is not the right thing mm. to resuscitate yes. this baby because were you, did you feel like nurses looking after this baby had quite, um, could explain why yeah. this was the wrong thing to do? Yeah, I think so. With this baby, he suffered such a catastrophic brain injury, mm-hmm. there's, he had no quality of life. Yeah. You know, we didn't know how long he, his life would last mm. um, and it was only a few months more. Mm. Um, 
Do you think the baby was suffering with day-to-day care? Was that a source of anxiety as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, Having to be so careful with repositioning and suctioning him and, and with his muscle tone, all of those things. I mean, we tried our very best to make him as comfortable as possible, but there were still times when you could see that it was distressing. Mm. Claire, I could sort of augment Patia's sort of sense here because this is a, a ward where a lot of very disabled children come through. They're yep. at home, living with very significant disabilities, have a setback often of viral respiratory illness that becomes a big deal for them. And so the staff are really very centred around the child's care and the family um, and, you know, very aware of, of disability and the possibilities of how somebody might live with, with disability. Mm. And so I think when I hear Patia talking about this, when I hear that the nurses are together on this, it really is a little person who's really just clinging to life mm. now and for whom the future really is uh, terrible. Mm. Could I'm also interested in whether it could have gone another way. When you look back on this mm. case, it sounds like the baby survived. Well, how long did the baby survive? If, uh, I think two or three more months mm-hmm. after his accident. Yeah. And is there a sense that this could have gone differently or is there a sense that this played out in the, this was sort of the best way it played out given mm. the circumstances? Could it have done, gone differently? We, I think it could have gone differently. I think we could have um, created a, a much more peaceful, a much more calm, a gentle passing for this child rather than the traumatic so the conflict remained yeah, right to the end? For sure. Yeah. And Pasha, do you think there was support from the medical staff? Because sometimes when we talk about nursing, uh, we talk about moral distress in mm. nursing and we talk about constraint. And, and, and in this case, we're thinking about, well, the parents' wishes sort of constraining what you'd like to do. But where were the medical staff uh, in this? Were they also obliged to follow the the mother's opinion about what to do um, or were you feeling constraint from the medical staff not letting you do what you think was right? I, I think the medical staff were understanding of our uh, distress of the situation but, again, probably constrained by the wishes of the, the mother. When I asked could it have gone differently mm. and you th- thought yes but in in a practical sense exploring how the mother f- felt we, we don't know too much mm. about what was going on for the mother and or the father mm-hmm. so we just know there's conflict yes. what sort of things would have to be in place for that conflict to have been able to be addressed enough for a different treatment to have occurred mm. <laughs> I'm just trying to think it is possible for it to go better, but how would that look? Would, would it mean I, the mother think, and yeah, the father yeah. needed to...? I think time, okay. uh, which we didn't have. Yep. Time to have long conversations with mum because she was very fixed on the idea that this baby was going to get better. Yep. And I don't think 
we had the time to be able to sit down with her and go through and try and help her to understand this baby's mm. condition. Claire, you're asking about how it might have gone differently. So it sounds to me like what if we'd had a, a clinical ethics consultation uh, about this case to try and uh, understand the decision-making yep. and find some decision support for the medical and nursing staff and then also consider the moral distress. So what yeah. might a clinical ethics consultation have offered? A clinical ethics consultation would have offered something along the lines of what I'm doing right now, which is first <laughs> of all exploring where are the ethical problems in this case? Like, are we concerned with the baby's uh, suffering now? Mm. Are we worried, we being um, you or the clinicians that bring the case, uh, worried about what might happen and whether or not a um, resuscitation should even be offered or whether it should be started and and for how long. So trying to get some sense of what is the what is the right or wrong thing to do in people's views mm-hmm. and we would also explore and and try to get more information about what the parents the two parents want understand where they're coming from and all of that is about unpacking the moral distress unpacking the feelings and putting some language around what are you feeling? Why are you worried? What is the wrong? Who is being wronged? So that we can then identify if there are any things we can address um, in, a, in a sort of practical sense. Or whether you come to the conclusion which I was hinting at before, is this an example of a tragic case that given the resources that we have, yeah. given the positions the parents have, this had to work its way through? Mm. Or were there some moments, critical moments, where looking back you could do something different? Mm. And, I mean, I think, Claire, the, the consultation would, would start about, you know, understanding the case, we're making the right decisions, mm-hmm. we're very familiar with in clinical ethics consultations, and then start to move to unpack the experience of the nursing staff and then probably follow through to something along the lines of, a, of an ethics debrief? Yes, that's right. So if the clinical ethics consultation was called at the time of the case, like in real time, the discussion might have focused upon what ethical options are there available, what should we be doing for this baby, for this family, for these parents who are who are in conflict about their child. And we would have canvassed what options are available, what are the ethical pros and cons of each of those options. Um, An ethics debrief is quite similar, but it goes to what really I was doing before, which is asking about where was the ethical heat? Why did it occur then, do you think? Mm -hmm. And looking back, could you have done things differently? And does this change anything about your future practice? Just giving people an option to really uh, work through their feelings, their experiences of caring for this baby. And I think, though, that's 
slightly different from just a, an acute debrief and a, a psychological debrief. Yes, it, it it is. There, there's, um, and it is really important to be um, aware of what you're doing, <laughs> with because there are quite a few options available in the debrief space, and psychological debriefs are often done quite soon to a traumatic event happening, and it's to ensure that um, people are safe and have the resources that they need rather than analysing and going back over the facts. And then there are other sorts of debriefs. I'm actually interested in asking Paisha whether you've probably gone through a few different briefs, Mm. debriefs about situations. Do you have a sense of them being helpful in, in different ways? Yes, definitely. I think we need to do more of it. But it, it just gives people a safe place to say what they're really feeling, I think. Um, and if you don't have that safe space, what, what sort of happens? Oh, I think um, it's, it sort of goes to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, that accumulative effect and burning out and mm. then it, you know, starts to affect you when you leave work. Um, yeah, which, it stays yeah, with you. Yes, yeah. it stays. Definitely these kind of things definitely stays. Mm. So I think that there's a very important role for Children's Bioethics Centre beyond clinician support and, you know, it's been very much medical support until now. We're very pleased that we've appointed a clinical nurse consultant in bioethics, I think, to really start flagging what are some of the hot issues Mm -hmm. in nursing ethics experience in the hospital. So I think that from our side is a really important advance. Mm. And I think that's sort of partly what's led us to here to have this nursing series and invite uh, Pasha um, to come along and share really very, very difficult <laughs> situation with lots of dimensions to the moral mm. uh, as well as lots of dimensions to the distress. Yeah, I, I think it's really important because the, the sort of lived experience of nurses is at the heart of, you know, clinical practice. And if we if we uh, don't engage with nurses' experience of caring, then we're missing a huge component. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Paisha. That was um, Paisha Johnson, clinical nurse specialist from the Sugar Glide Award here at Royal Children's Hospital. And thank you, Professor Claire Delaney from the Children's Bioethics Centre for unpacking moral distress and, for me, really opening up the emotional content of what moral distress is all about. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating and share it with your colleagues and friends. The podcast was made possible by the Dame Elizabeth Murdoch Nursing Development Scholarship podcast was recorded and edited in Creative Services here at Royal Children's Hospital. It was produced by Dr Jenny O'Neill, Clinical Nurse Consultant Bioethics. If you'd like to find out more about the activities of the Children's Bioethics Centre, including our annual conference in September, please look us up on www.rch.org.au forward slash bioethics. Essential ethics. Be inspired. <laughs>